Sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great to be with you, church. Last week, we started our series on the Lord's Prayer, and it's kind of a series within a series within a series. As you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and within the Gospel of Matthew, you have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we have recorded for us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Prayer is so critical, it's so important in the life of the believer, and even though we saw and we heard the Lord's Prayer read for us, it's relatively short, Um, we're going to slow down and we're going to look at it line by line in the weeks to come, And, and the hope is that, not that at the end of these eight weeks we become experts at what the Lord's Prayer means, but that week after week we would start praying. Week after week, we would start praying, and we would start praying more as a church. That no matter where we are currently in our prayer lives, that we would take the next step, and the next step. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard lots of sermons on prayer. Maybe you've read a book or two on prayer, and the end result is always what? The end result is always, man, I should pray more, right? The end result is, we think, man, I should pray more, But the question is, church, how has that been going? How's that been going? Could it be said of you that you're a person of prayer? I asked myself this this week, and am I a person of prayer? Yes, if it means praying a bit before I read the Bible. Yes, if it means I pray before meals, before going to bed. Yes, if it means I pray when there's some great need in my life or in the life of my family or the life of our church. But no, if it means casting all my worries and anxieties upon him. No, if it means praying without ceasing and not losing heart and being steadfast in my prayers. No, if it means crying out, even in agony, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And yet something inside of us, if you're a believer, something inside of us tells us that we ought to pray in this way, right? But we don't. Why don't we? Well, only one person can change your heart, and it's not me. Only God can produce an enduring obedience in you, not a good sermon. And so before we start talking about prayer, let's actually pray together. Wherever you're at, quietly in your seat, will you pray and ask God to make you a person of prayer, a person who prays without ceasing, a person who endures in prayer without losing heart, And this isn't just going to be some 15-second ordeal. I'm actually going to give you time to pray. We're going to get crazy and actually pray at church, okay? I'm going to give you three whole minutes, three entire minutes to pray quietly to yourself in your seat. I'm going to pray with you. And so let's do that now for three minutes. Let's pray.
Father, we ask that you would do the work of making us a praying people, a praying church, Lord. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. So, how was it, church? My, my honest hope is that for many of us, it was an incredibly sweet time of being with your heavenly Father, just experiencing what it's like. Just, to, just have three minutes, three minutes of quiet before the Father praying to him. While for others of us, it might have been incredibly difficult, maybe uncomfortable, maybe awkward, right? Praying for a little bit, or you think you got a good amount of prayer, and you look down, and it's only been 30 seconds, right? This is an exercise they do at prayer seminars, what we just did, except they go really crazy and pray for five minutes. And afterwards, the people at the seminar are asked this question, what was your five minutes of prayer like, okay? And these are some of their answers. See if they resonate. They said, it was awkward. I wonder when it was going to end. It felt overwhelming and it was hard to be still. It was hard to stay focused. My mind kept wondering. It felt futile. I was speaking to him, but I didn't think he was really going to answer. I fell asleep. I don't see the point. He knows everything already. I don't want to bother him. It feels like I'm trying to talk with God, but he doesn't want to talk with me. Can you relate to any of these statements? How is it that we can be completely and absolutely be convinced and convicted that we ought to pray and even earnestly desire to pray, but still don't pray and have difficulty, have so much difficulty when we try to pray? As we look at the Lord's Prayer together, let's ask three questions regarding prayer. Number one, why is it so difficult to pray? And number two, what is the basis for our praying? And number three, how does God respond when we pray? Why is it so difficult to pray? What's the basis for our praying? How does God respond when we pray? First question, why is it so difficult to pray? Let's look at the text together in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? Hallowed be your name. Notice Jesus says, pray then like this. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. In other words, what is he doing? Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, right? Jesus believed it was necessary for him to teach us how to pray. The first key towards becoming a person of prayer is knowing that it's going to be hard, knowing that it's going to be difficult, knowing that it's going to require learning. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make as Christians is to think that prayer is just going to be easy, it's going to be natural, that it's just going to come, that somehow it's just going to happen, and when it doesn't, how do we feel? We feel like there's something wrong with us, right? And so here we should be very comforted by the fact that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. If you're a Christian here today and you find that praying is difficult, I want you to know that there's Nothing wrong with you 
You just need to be taught how to pray. And Jesus wants to teach you how. If the disciples that were with Jesus every single day, right, if they needed to be taught how to pray, then surely we need to be taught how to pray. I was seven years old when I moved to these great United States of Texas. And when I moved here, I didn't know a single English word. English didn't just come to me. I had to work. I had to memorize. I had to just go out there trying to speak, right, looking like a fool. English just didn't come. I didn't just get off the plane and my brain just shifted. Oh, you're in America now, English mode, right? I had to work. I had to, I had to practice. But as I did over and over again, somewhere in there, the language that I felt most comfortable speaking, it changed, that shifted. My heart language changed from Korean to English. Now, my wife, Angela, she still makes fun of me about my subject-verb agreements, as I'm sure you notice every now and then as well. But to that, I always say, you know, you know English is my second language, right? Like, I speak this whole other language. While I'm on the topic, don't make fun of people. Don't look down on people because they speak with an accent. When they speak with an accent, it means they speak a whole other language. Think about how you would fare in their country, okay? So have some grace. So in a sense... Prayer is like the secret foreign language that you speak with your heavenly father that you're going to have to learn and it's going to be difficult. It's going to require work and practice. But if you stick with it, if you keep praying over and over and over again, it's going to one day without you even noticing it shift from being this difficult foreign language to your very heart language with your father. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And what does Jesus say? Jesus is immediately willing. He says, pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We know it as the Lord's Prayer, right? Well, how does it start? We've heard it so many times that it doesn't shock us, but it ought to. What's the first and foremost thing that he teaches us regarding prayer? What Jesus is saying is this. First and foremost, when you pray, what you have to know is this, that you're talking with your heavenly Father. Now, you may hear this and think, well, yeah, I know that. God is my Father. But to Jesus' disciples, this must have been absolutely shocking. Nobody at the time had the audacity to personally call on God as Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that is holy, 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 the one that the high priest could only approach once a year into the holy of holies. They were deathly afraid of even calling him by his name, Yahweh, right? Let alone address him personally as their father. And yet this was the first and foremost thing that Jesus taught his disciples regarding prayer. Jesus is teaching us that this is the most fundamental reality that we must know and experience if we're going to be a praying people. Our sonship, that God is our father and we are his sons and daughters. And I say that we have to know it and experience it because many of us know it, right? Christian, do you know that God is your father? Do you know that you are his son, you are his daughter? Yes, many of us know it. And if I were to ask you, what is it like to be a Christian? What is it like to be a child of God? You may say, it's the most amazing thing in all the world. I was a sinner. I wanted nothing to do with God, and yet he saved me. He sent his son for me, right? He lived a life that I could never live. He died the death that I deserved to die. And at great cost to himself, 
he offered forgiveness and reconciliation and he brought me in, adopted me as his child. But then I say, wow, that is amazing, right? So tell me what it's like to spend time with your heavenly father. Tell me what it's like to speak with your heavenly father and you say, you know, it's really awkward. I always wonder when our time is going to end. When I meet with him, I just feel overwhelmed. I don't really know what to say. I want to talk with him, but it feels like he doesn't really want to talk with me. Do you see the massive discrepancy here? Our description of being God's child doesn't match with our experience of being his child. You are his child, but when you try to go to him and speak with your heavenly father, you don't feel like you're his child. And so that's the first thing Jesus wants to address when you pray. Pray like this, our father. Many of you know that you're God's child, but you're not yet experiencing it. And what Jesus is showing us is that there is no place quite like prayer where you can not only know, but experience the fact that you are his son. Experience the fact that you are his daughter. Jesus is teaching us that the essence of prayer is meeting and speaking with your heavenly father. It's about you being God's child. And this leads us into the second question. What's the basis for our praying? What is the basis for our praying? When you pray at the fundamental level, why do you think you're being heard? When you pray to God, why do you think he hears you? On what basis do you have any confidence and hope that God hears you and will answer you? I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Tim Keller on this text, and he was making this point. It was just so good. I'll try my best to convey it. He was saying that when you approach anyone in order to have some sort of interaction, in order to make some sort of a request or an ask, you do so on some basis. That when you approach, when you approach anybody, you approach them on some basis, and the basis determines the level of interaction, and the basis determines the level of ask that you can make. For instance, if you're on vacation in another city, you feel the freedom, right, to approach somebody on the street, some stranger on the street, to ask for Directions? On the basis of what? On the basis of common humanity? On the basis of common courtesy, right? And because the level of interaction, and because the level of ask that you're making is so minimal, you could have some confidence that they're going to hear you, they're going to listen to you, and they're going to answer your question, right? But would you go on vacation to another city, walk up to a stranger, and say, hey, my family and I were visiting your city, would you like to take us around, show us around, take us out for a nice dinner, and then let us sleep over at your house? No, you would never make that ask because the ask is too great and your basis is too little. When you approach someone, you do so on some basis. Up until recently, Angela and I owned a rental home. We had this nice family that were renting from us, and they paid. They always paid the rent on time, and because they were good renters, and always paid the rent on time, they could call me at any time there was something wrong with the house, if the, AC, if the AC was broken, if the roof was leaking, they could call me and with confidence that I would come and fix it, right? Why? Not me fix it, call somebody fix it, right? <laughs> Why? Because they were 
paying the rent, okay? It was a business relationship. And in a business relationship, the basis is always, I have done this for you, therefore you must now do this for me, right? It's a give and take relationship. I do my part and you do yours. But a family relationship is different. A father-child relationship is different. My kids can also approach me and ask me for things. If the roof is leaking, if the AC is broken, will I fix it? Absolutely. They don't even have to ask because of the nature of our relationship. Even before they know that there's a problem, I'll fix it for them. And, and so think about that incredible truth for a little bit. Because of the nature of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, there are, in a sense, 10,000s upon 10,000s of prayer requests that God is answering for you without, even, without you even knowing there's a problem, even before you ask. But my children can ask even more of me. They can say, Appa, when you get home tonight, can you cook some Korean barbecue for us? And, and I'm like, absolutely, absolutely, let's do that, right? And, and even when it's 3 a.m., if, if, it's, if it's one of my kids getting sick and, and they just throw up, they're not limited to my business hours. I don't say, sorry, just send me an email and I'll get to it in the morning, right? No, they can just walk in my bedroom. They could wake me up. Our renters can't do that. Punch them in the face, right? Call the police, you know? You see, my children can ask more of me and there are no limits to when they can approach me. Why? because they pay good rent. No, no, these little suckers have cost me nothing but money ever since they've been conceived, right? They could ask more of me and there's no limit to my availability to them because the basis of their approaching me is entirely different. My renters approach me on the basis of what they've done for me, but my children approach me on the basis of who they are to me, right? Not on the basis of what they've done, on the basis of who they are. On what basis are you approaching God? Are you approaching him on the basis of all the things you've done for him, on the basis of all the ways that you've served and obeyed him, and so the expectation is now he has to come through for you, or are you approaching him on the basis of who you are to him, as his son, as his daughter, saying, Father, all I've ever done is cost you. You're not in my debt. How could you ever owe me anything? And yet I'm going to approach you anyways because I'm your kid, because you're my father. Where else am I going to go? We can either approach God on the basis of what we've done or we could approach him on the basis of who we are in light of what Christ has done. And so how do we know? How do we know on what basis we've been approaching God in prayer? One of the ways we can know is by looking at how we respond to God when he doesn't answer our prayers, when he says no to our prayers. If you've been approaching God on the basis of you being a renter, on the basis of what you've been doing for him, you'll either get really angry or you'll be really crushed. You'll either get really angry at God because you're saying, God, I've been paying the rent, right? I've been doing all this stuff for you. I've been worshiping you. I've been obeying you. I deserve this, God. Or you'll be really crushed because you're thinking, oh yeah, I've I've not been paying the rent. Why would he hear me? Why would he answer my prayers? I've not been doing anything for him, right? When God doesn't answer your prayer and you respond with anger or by being crushed, this is what Pastor Tim Keller says about it. He says, in either case, you prove you're a renter, not a child. 
In either case, you believe at a fundamental level that your relationship with God is a business one. It's based on your performance and his. You have your duties, he has his duties. Don't you see the difference? A religious person says, God, come into my life and be my landlord. I'll do my part and you do yours. A Christian is someone who says, God, come into my life, be my father. I'm not worthy of your favor. But Jesus Christ has lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. And as a result, on the basis of what he has done, be my father. And so on what basis are you approaching God? If you're constantly approaching God on the basis of what you've done for him, even when God answers your prayers, even when God gives you what you're asking for, there's no sense of wonder, there's no praise, there's no thankfulness because you're thinking, well, of course, of course God answered me. Look at all the things I've been doing for him. But when a Christian has their prayers answered, there's no of courseness about it. The Christian says, Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible? I can't believe it, but it's true. He's my father and I'm his son. Isn't it incredible, but it's true. He's my father and I'm his daughter. Who am I that he should be mindful of me? And yet he is and he forever will be. And even when God sees fit not to answer that prayer, when he says no to you, there's no room for prolonged anger, prolonged bitterness, because you realize that if he was willing to give his son for you, then surely he's not withholding anything good from you. Surely the reason why he's saying no, surely the reason why he's saying not yet, surely the reason why he's withholding because, is because the thing that you're asking for will ultimately harm you. Surely he is wiser than us than, as our good heavenly father. We approach God not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of who we are. And we should never be able to get over it, that he's our father, and we're his sons and his daughters. And the last question, how will God respond when we pray in this way? How will God respond when we pray in this way, when we approach him as father? You know, one of the most incredible things that God has been doing in our church for years now is he's been moving in the hearts of the people within our church to adopt and moving in the hearts of our people to pray and to give so that other families can adopt. I think one of the clearest ways that we can demonstrate the gospel is by being an adopting church because that's the heart of the gospel. It's what Jesus at a great cost himself accomplished, not just sinners being forgiven, but sinners being forgiven and being brought near and adopted as children. About three and a half years ago now, God gave Angela and I the grace to be able to adopt our son Ben from Korea, and it's been by far one of the greatest, most joyful experiences we've ever had, and at the same time, one of the hardest, one of the costliest costliest things we've ever done. Here's a picture of Ben with our daughter Evie. So you see this little guy? like the happiest, squishiest little guy ever. What you see in the picture, that's him, okay? We love him so much, and not just us, but our entire MC, our, our, all of our friends, our, our entire community, without which we couldn't have done this. It's too hard, it's too difficult. We're crazy about him, but at the same time, it's incredibly difficult. Some of, some of the adoptive parents in our church know what I'm talking about. The times when it's most difficult for me is when I'm tempted to treat Ben differently than our other children. The times when I feel most guilty is when I know that my emotions and affections just aren't quite there. 
Now, outwardly, I do all the same things, but I know deep inside the emotions, the affections just aren't quite there yet, right? And the evil of my heart, one of the greatest temptations that I face on a regular basis is to treat that little boy differently than I treat that little girl. One of the greatest temptations and the evil of my heart that I face is to give that little boy less of my affections, less of my patience, less of my hugs and kisses, ultimately less of myself than I would that little girl. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to his children? According to Jesus, I'm an evil father, and yet I know how to give good gifts to my children. Even though there is evil in me, I know that treating Ben differently than my other children is wrong, and so I fight against those temptations. And when I fail, I repent. But our heavenly Father is not so evil that he would be tempted by such temptations. When Jesus taught us how to pray, our Father, he's saying God is his Father and he's our Father as well. But how? How is this possible? John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see this? It says, to all those who have received Jesus, the payment that was paid on the cross for our adoption as sons and daughters, that he gave us the right, it says, to become children of God. Other translations say he gave us the authority of being his sons and daughters. You see, if you're in Christ today, he gave you the right. He gave you authority to come to God and claim him as your father. Church, if you're a Christian here today, you have all the rights, you have all the authority to know and experience God as your father, but by not praying, you're not taking advantage of that right and authority. It's like having a tumor, and the greatest surgeon in all the world is your dad. It's like being hungry, and the greatest chef in all the world is your dad. It's like being picked on, and the rock is your dad, right? (laughs) But you're not calling on him. You're not calling on him on the basis of who you are. You have the right, you have the authority to call on him, but through our prayerlessness, we're not utilizing our right, our authority, right? When you look at the scriptures and you see Jesus praying, you get the sense that immediately, immediately God bends his ear down to earth and he starts paying attention. When you look at Jesus praying in the Bible, you get the sense that immediately God's like, what's my son saying? What does he want me to do for him? What does he need for me right now? When Jesus prays, God hears and he's ready to explode into action. Why? Because that's his kid, right? Because that's his child. And you are his adopted child. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You are God's child and you are co-heirs with Christ. Not a second class heir, not a lesser heir, but a co-heir, a fellow heir. And what does that mean? To be a fellow heir with Christ means you get what Jesus gets. That's what it means to be a co-heir. That's what it means to be a fellow heir. It means that you get what Jesus gets. And what does Jesus get? 
He gets the full and absolute attention and love and commitment of the Father. Our confidence in our prayers can't first and foremost be rooted in how we think God is going to respond to us. But it has to be rooted in how we think God responds to Jesus' prayers. How do we think that God regards Jesus? The Bible tells us right now that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, that he's praying to the Father for us right now. And just think about this incredible truth that God is on his throne and to his right, he hears his son praying to him. And at the same time, he looks down and he sees you at the kitchen table praying to him in the morning. And what God is showing us through his word is that he makes no distinction. He doesn't distinguish between Jesus' prayers and your prayers. He doesn't say, oh, my natural son is asking me, for, asking me for something. I'll get to that adopted child later. He's not an evil father who treats his adopted children differently. Isn't it absolutely incredible? God loves us to the same degree that he loves his natural son. He's equally committed to you as he is committed to Jesus. All the affections that stirred up in his heart when he looks at at Jesus, the one who trusted him and obeyed him, even at the cost of his life, going to the cross, his heart is stirred up to the same level of affection when he looks upon you and hears you pray, Father. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed, Father, I want you to love them. Father, I want you to love them even as, even as you love me even as you love me. Church, don't miss this. God loves you, even as, to the same extent, with the same fervor, with the same commitment, God loves you, even as he loves Jesus. This is absolutely incredible, but I happen to know that you don't yet believe it. Because I happen to know that I don't yet believe it. It's too wonderful. How can this be true? That God loves us. God loves you, even as he loves Jesus. If we believed this, it would unrecognizably change our lives, right? How would it change us? We would never worry. We'd never be anxious. Why? Because Heavenly Father, God, the creator of the universe, is your daddy. He's in control. He loves you, cares for you, is committed to you exactly, even as, just as, he is committed to his son. And it would never, ever, ever make us a prayerless people. We would never, ever struggle with prayerlessness ever again. How could we? We would go to him over and over and over again, every chance we got. And this is what God is offering us in prayer, himself. That's what prayer is all about. God is saying to us, here I am. Here I am. I'm your father, right? Could he do some things for you? Sure, as any good father would love to do 
good things for his children. Can he answer some things for you? Sure, as any good father would answer questions and do things and serve things for his children. But above and beyond all of that, in prayer, Jesus is saying, first and foremost, don't miss this. In prayer, you have access, this great invitation of God, the creator of the universe, saying, come to me. Here I am. I'm your father. You're my son. You're my daughter. And when we go to him, And when we go to him in prayer and we say, Father, we're saying, God, above anything else, more than anything else, we want you. I want you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And our heavenly father, our good heavenly father, won't give you less of himself. He will give you the fullness of himself. Just as, even as, he loves to hear the prayers of his son Jesus, he loves to hear from you. He loves to hear from you. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. Father, Father, let us not ever be able to get over this reality that we can come to you and call you Father. Father, you say to all those who did receive him, you gave the right, you gave the authority to be your sons and daughters. And so, Father, by your grace, we, we, we claim that right. We claim that authority. We come to you and we address you as Abba, Father, Daddy. Father, in so many ways, we know. We know, Lord, we're your sons. We know we're your daughters. and, And yet in so many ways, we're not experiencing it. Lord, I ask that you would do this work within me, within our church, Lord, that one day we would find ourselves a people who are dedicated to prayer more than anything. And when asked, what what changed it? What changed our church to be a praying church, Lord? We would all be able to look back on this truth, this great, incredible reality. It was the day when we realized in prayer we have access to our daddy. It was when we decided that we were going to accept his invitation every time, every day, without ceasing, our Father calling us near. Father, will you make us a praying church? Will you make us a praying people? We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the price that your son has paid in us being being adopted as your children. Let us use this right. Let us use this authority coming to you, calling you Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you stand.